0: so interesting is a travel podcast that takes you on a journey to some of the most exciting and fascinating destinations around the world. We are Julia and Miro and we welcome you to join us today on the journey through fascinating labyrinths of streets because in this episode we are exploring Barle Nassau, a small town located on the border of Belgium and the Netherlands where you can literally be in two countries at the same time. We also take you on a culinary adventure assembly the delicious peach melba dessert and exploring its lovely story. If you are an aviation enthusiast, we have got you covered too. We will reveal some of the best airport spotting places in the world. But that's not all, so sit back, relax and get ready to be transported to the charming world of traveling. This is It's So Interesting. Well, as you probably already know, we love traveling by car, and one of the road trips in the Netherlands got us to this interesting and unusual location – Barle Nassau, Europe's strangest border anomaly. At first glance, it seems like a normal town, without any peculiarities, but when you look down you can see strange lines on the ground. They are everywhere, on the roads, sidewalks, near the buildings, and so on. We had no idea what was this place about until we visited it. And it's so interesting that we also want you to see it. We attach photos in the telegram post related to this episode. The link is below, so go and check it out. Well, according to BBC, Barley-Nassau is a geopolitical anomaly where many buildings have an international border running right through them. It's a place where a person might be in the same bed as his or her spouse, but sleep in different countries, a place where people move their front doors for economic advantage. So basically, a town in the Netherlands, Barley-Nassau, is home to over 30 Belgian enclaves called Barley-Hertog. It is like two cities entwined like a. so, but each of them belonged to a different country. Barle-Nassau in the Netherlands and Barle-Hertog in Belgium are essentially located on the same territory, but do have not entirely clear, confusing borders. It all started in the Middle Ages, when one part of the territory was occupied by the dukes of Brabant and the other by the lords of Breda, and later by the house of Nassau. When the states of Belgium and the Netherlands were formed in 1831, it became necessary to establish a border between them. The situation was so complicated that ruling regimes refused to finalize this problem to avoid problems and criticism. The borderline at Barle was so difficult that a special border commission was needed to solve the problem. It took 15 years to complete all the procedures and determine borders, and finally, in 1995, all the borders were finalized when the last remaining piece of no man's land was attributed to Belgium. After the completion of the work there was no logic in the division of the city, it was divided into pieces by both countries and the border passed in completely random places, for example right through the territories of houses and gardens. Now you can walk along the Belgian street and in a few seconds be in the Netherlands while just crossing the white stripe on the ground uh, that marks the border. At a certain time, this place was a tricky puzzle for authorities in terms of taxes, local laws, and other peculiarities. When, for example, in one country, shops and supermarkets are closed on Sunday, but are open in another one. That must be so confusing and convenient at the same time, right? Also, complexities can appear when it comes to infrastructure. For example, trash management, building permits, parking, and so on. But good negotiating skills work wonders. And also the very interesting thing is the drinking age. In the Netherlands it is 18, but Belgians can legally drink beer and wine at 16, which means the teens from the Netherlands can easily go to the Belgian pub across the street and get drinks there, instead of waiting for two more years to go to the Dutch pub. Today, many residents of Barley-Nassau and Barle hertog have dual citizenship and both a Belgian and a Dutch passport. This is truly an exciting place to see. We took a photo of our car being in two countries at the same time. And we spent like half an hour jumping across the line dividing the street to Belgium and the Netherlands because it is fun and so unique. So if you ever wanted to be in two countries at the same time, we highly recommend visiting Barley-Nassau and Barley-Hertog. But if you are more into aviation, you will probably be interested in airplane spotting. Because let's face it, it is a real feeling of excitement when the airplane flies just over your head. Oh yes, I love the sound so much when the plane is approaching and then the sound is everywhere around you and you see the aircraft body from below so close that you get goosebumps and then airplane lands. Fascinating! Yeah, this is so exciting! We used to have our favorite spot in Kyiv for airplane spotting and it was unbelievably cool. And if you're going to do it for the first time, I must tell you that landing is usually much better than taking off, as the aircraft flies closer to the end of the runway before landing. Also, you must know that some of the locations are specially designated areas for plane spotting, and in some airports there is a public property located so close to the runway that makes it a perfect place either. You have probably seen those fascinating shots where the airplane is landing over people's head on the beach in Saint Martin. The Princess Juliana airport has a relatively short runway and low altitude approach, and this is what makes it so cool for plane spotting. Maho Beach provides an incredible experience of planes flying low overhead as they land. Founders Plaza at Dallas-Fort Worth International Airport is arguably one of the best airplane spotting locations. An excellent family- friendly place free of charge with picnic tables and a live broadcast from the air traffic control tower providing the opportunity to listen to the conversations between pilots and the tower. If you are not a fan of planes flying over your head but just want to look at them, then Changi Airport is one of the world's best airports for this, providing several designated viewing areas for aviation enthusiasts. The Aviation Gallery features a variety of interactive exhibits and displays, including a flight simulator and a 360-degree panoramic view of the airport. There are also outdoor viewing decks at Terminal 1 and Terminal 3 that offer great views of planes taking off and landing. Polderbaan runway is located far from the main terminals at Siphol airport in Amsterdam, but it's a great spot for plane spotting. The runway is one of the longest in Europe, and planes take off and land from a distance, providing great opportunities for photography and video. There is a designated viewing area near the runway, but it can be quite crowded during peak times. Gibraltar is the unique location for airplane spotting, as its airport has a runway that intersects with the main road, which means that planes taking off and landing are extremely close to the viewing area. This provides a great opportunity for plane sporters to get up close and personal with the planes. Mm. And I just remember this story about airplane spotting we wanted to tell you. Anytime you think of it, it's so funny. So well, it happened one day when we decided to go airplane spotting near Burysville Airport in Kyiv. And we were driving there and it's kind of like this area near the field, like, airplane is surrounded with fields and this is the road near the field where you just come to the end of the runway and you can see the airplanes landing above your head so driving there we realized that we were running out of fuel and we decided to go back to the gas station and refill the tank oh my how smart that was like really smart and whenever you go to some unknown places make sure you have a full tank or enough fuel for any unforeseen situations these days I also Always keep the fuel tank or we always keep the fuel tank at least half full and I think it's the war that has taught us to do so because it was very handy when in the morning when the war started and we were leaving our home we didn't have problems with getting fuel so lesson learned at that moment it was also a great decision so we put some fuel and came back driving to the sporting location but I don't know why either GPS wasn't working properly or we chose the wrong way we ended up driving on the muddy country road. And to make it more extreme it was muddy and wet with occasional puddles. So can you guess what happens next? I'm sure you are right. We got stuck in a muddy puddle trying to drive through it. We just slipped in it and our car couldn't get out. We spent around three hours there trying to push it out. We created fountains with our wheel that was hanging in the water with no grip. This fountain covered each of our with mud, when one of us was pushing while another one was accelerating in the car. The thing is that we could Call like for help, but we had no idea where exactly we were because GPS was not working and we had weak mobile reception. So an hour into this mess, we decided to go and look for some things that could be handy in such situation. To our surprise, we found some concrete tablets and pieces of wooden boards. So we collected all those things, came back to the car, and dug a pit under two wheels to put the boards underneath for the grip. We just dug with bare hands like the sand pits on the beach it was cold and really muddy so eventually we managed to provide the grip and push the car out of this puddle of mud it took us almost three hours and we were so busy solving our problem that we hadn't paid attention to the airplanes we hadn't seen any it's so interesting that being so occupied we haven't seen any airplanes eventually we carefully drove away and went to the bar afterwards to celebrate our a great achievement. And since we already mentioned a bar, we think it's necessary to talk about either food or drinks in every episode of It's So Interesting, as we love to eat in many places when we travel, and there's so much to talk about local specialties from all over the world. So, today we talk about how in the early 1900s a French chef named Auguste Escoffier was working at the Savoy Hotel in London, when one day a customer asked him for a meal that was light and easy to digest but still full of flavor. Escoffier took it as a challenge and put his culinary skills to work creating a new dish on the spot. Peach Melba the dish was named after the famous Australian opera singer Nellie Melba, who was a regular at the Savoy Hotel. Escoffier took a halved peach, poached it in a sugar syrup, and served it on a bed of vanilla ice cream. And he then topped it with a raspberry puree, which gave the dish a beautiful pink color and a sweet tart flavor. Nellie Melba was so impressed with the dessert that she requested it every time she dined at the Savoy. The dish quickly became a sensation, and it's still popular. Popular today over a century later. Another legend says that in 1892 opera soprano Nelly Melba was performing in Wagner's opera Long Green at Covent Garden and the Duke of Orléans gave a dinner party at the Savoy to celebrate her triumph. For the occasion Escafier presented Nelly with a dessert of fresh peaches served over vanilla ice cream in a silver dish perched atop an ice sculpture of a swan, which is featured in the opera. And the legend says that he originally call this dish peach with a swan. Today, Peach Melba is considered a classic dessert, and is served in fine dining restaurants all over the world, and inspired some other famous desserts. In some parts of Australia, it is also transformed into a breakfast dish consisting of peaches, yogurt, and berry sauce. My dear, I'm so sad I'm not into desserts that much, because I would need this special dessert tour to try delights in every country. Well, we are not into desserts and not sweetest people, but Then something always happens to us when we are in Turkey, United Arab Emirates, or Jordan, where we turn into, oh my god, baklava-addicted people! Oh, touche! Guys, this is true, and there's no logical explanation for this, but I was eating baklava in a parking lot just behind the corner of the shop that we just purchased the box of baklava in Aqaba, like a junkie, yeah, feels so good to travel and have all these unforgettable forgettable experiences and you know that there is one interesting tradition in some eastern european countries it is the practice of sitting down before starting a journey (laughs) yeah that's a weird thing but at some point a practical thing to do that we were taught from childhood either the tradition involves uh, taking a moment to sit down on the doorstep or near the entrance of the home before setting out on a journey it is done as a way of pausing and reflecting on the journey ahead and seeking divine protection and guidance for a safe and successful journey. In our family we did it to think about the things we need on a journey and whether we packed everything necessary like passport, money, other travel documents and so on. Since our family is not religious, this tradition was implemented only in a practical way. (laughs) Yeah, but there were two times when this tradition led to funny incidents. One was when we sat down on the shoe shelf near the entrance to the apartment and it fell apart the shoes were out the shelf was ruined our father looked at it and said we'll fix it when we get back (laughs) yeah oh i do remember that and another one when our mother forgot her clothes Oh, yeah, that was a cruel one. So, we had this uh, road trip to Lithuania to spend three weeks uh, with our family there. And before leaving the apartment, someone suggested to sit down before we hit the road. And our mother was already holding a case with her clothes. So, to sit down, she just hung it on the door. And then, after sitting down, she just stood up, picked up our stuff, and left the apartment. We were halfway to Lithuania when we found out mother's clothes were (laughs) missing. Yeah, luckily some of our family members in Lithuania shared their outfits with our mother, so she wasn't affected that much. But it is so sad that you sit down to not forget anything, and just because of it, you forget your things. And this fun and positive note is a perfect ending to this episode of It's so interesting. Remember, traveling is not just about ticking off destinations on a bucket list, but also about immersing yourself in new cultures and embracing the unknown known. So go out there and explore with an open mind and heart. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of our travel podcast. We hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. Until next time and happy travels!